Hi, this is Jim Lyon. You're listening to Viewpoint. And with me today, Kimberly Majeski. Hi, Jim. Hey, Kimberly. We're so glad you're here. And you and I, last week on Viewpoint, began a series studying some stories of great men and women of faith in ancient time and even just in recent centuries. But the thing I love about history is that in history, you get perspective mm-hmm. because this is not the first turbulent age. That's right. And there are people who sure. have lived before us who have been through many, many trials and even as we are, so were they. Mm-hmm. And their stories of triumph, their stories of legacy and impact and influence for the good should inspire us. Right. You might even call them saints. You hmm? might. <laughs> we might. And of course, that word saint is kind of loaded because there are different theological traditions that assign that word saint in different ways. But we're from a family of believers that think that anyone who is redeemed by the blood of Jesus, anyone who is made new in Christ and finds their way to be by his side in heaven, that person is a saint. That's right. We're all saints. And we also think that the scripture tells us that there is a communion of the saints. Mm -hmm. We're not just in a room by ourselves with people who are living contemporaneously with us. We're actually part of a a family, a community that transcends this moment and actually reaches to heaven. That right now, as you and I are talking, there's a cloud of witnesses. That's what mm-hmm. Hebrews tells us. There's right. a cloud of witnesses of people who are saints mm-hmm. who are watching us and cheering us on. Cheering you might say. us on. And, <laughs> no, and as we think about them, we can learn from them that they kept their eyes fixed on Jesus and made their way. And they made their way through this world, leaving it better than when they found it. Mm-hmm. I mean, all of that is about sainthood. Mm-hmm. That's right. We get caught up in maybe what it means to one tradition versus the other. But I grew up, of course, in my church, in the Church of God in Tennessee, uh, hearing, we would say, hearing the stories of the saints, right? And that was just a time when when the, the folks who journeyed longer than us would stand up on a Wednesday night in church or a Sunday night and give their testimony, just their story of how God had shown up in their lives. And that was really enriching for me as a, as a kid to hear someone further down the road who'd been through some things and had come out on the other side or was still living in it, but could testify to God's faithfulness. That's right. And there are so many millions of stories like that that have gone on before us. Now, there are different church traditions that identify some people as having stories worth remembering that they Mm -hmm. assign the word saint to. Mm -hmm. Other church traditions just have calendars that remind us that each day of the year there's somebody who has lived in a way that they can inspire us to follow Jesus too. Yes. For the purposes of this series, we're looking at the Anglican Church liturgical calendar. The Anglicans are a part of the Protestant branch of Christianity, but they also recognize that there are some great souls that could be remembered, often remembered on the day of their passing. That's the anniversary of their day. And this week, we're going to look at one of those who is not necessarily on a Roman Catholic or an Orthodox Church calendar, but certainly is someone we could call a saint. Kimberly, this whole idea, this invitation to consider the lives of people who have lived before us as a way of developing our faith is actually grounded in the Scripture. It is. So there's a book in the New Testament called Hebrews, which Mm -hmm. especially emphasizes the value and the propriety of remembering Mm -hmm. great men and women who have lived before we lived, who walked with God and found their way into his arms. Hebrews chapter 11 especially is a famous passage that catalogs some great men and women of the Old Testament as a way of 
informing us that what they have done, we also can do, what they have known, we can build upon, and that they are part of this great cloud of witnesses. Mm -hmm. Uh, Think about this with us, Kimberly, as you read. Hebrews chapter 11, in those first five verses, kind of sets the stage for what we're going to talk about today. Faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It is the evidence of things we cannot see. Through their faith, the people in the days of old earned a good reputation. By faith, we understand that the entire universe was formed at God's command, that what we now see did not come from anything that can be seen. It was by faith that Abel brought a more acceptable offering to God than Cain did. Abel's offering gave evidence that he was a righteous man, and God showed his approval for his gifts. And although Abel is long dead, he still speaks to us by his example of faith. And it was by faith that Enoch was taken up to heaven without dying. Quote, he disappeared because God took him, end quote. For before he was taken up, he was known as a person who pleased God. And it is impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. Already right here in the first six verses of Hebrews chapter 11, we have established that faith is the currency of spiritual life Mm -hmm. and that the key to all of life is is developing the sense that the material is not all there is. That's right. That there is a spiritual dimension that actually transcends the material Mm -hmm. and informs us about what we can touch and feel by our physical senses. But there's something more. And it is by this faith, the sense Mm -hmm. that there's the unseen realm, that we begin to commune with God. And we must believe that God is and that he rewards those who seek him. And it's illustrated for us already with two great characters, Abel and (laughs) Enoch, of ancient time who lived this way. Yes. And we're invited to consider their lives. We are. Well, similarly, how many more lives have lived by faith? Mm -hmm. And that brings us to our story today. When we come back, Kimberly, let's talk about somebody who the Anglican calendar features in January as a story worth remembering that I think all of us could agree is a story worth remembering. His name? George Fox. Kimberly, when I say the name George Fox, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? Uh, George Fox University is the first thing that comes to my mind. Out in Oregon. It's a great school. Been there many times. Christian education. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that school was birthed by what's called the Society of Friends. That's right. Or often called the Quakers. Mm -hmm. People know about Quakers. And when I say the word Quaker, some people will think of oatmeal. Yes. (laughs) Because there's Quaker oats. Mm -hmm. Uh, Some people will think about Pennsylvania, mm-hmm. because it was famous as an American colony. William Penn That's right. was a Quaker, mm-hmm. a protege, actually, of George Fox. Mm-hmm. But George Fox was a man who not only birthed this movement called the Society of Friends, but a man who birthed that movement out of a profound experience he had growing up mm-hmm. in 17th century England. Now, he lived in a world where people had settled into an experience with God that was largely framed by liturgies Mm -hmm. and church buildings. Mm -hmm. There was a certain structure and hierarchy to the church of that time, Mm -hmm. and uh, there was an established church. The government impressed on people, this is the way to do it. And uh, there were a lot of steeples and beautiful buildings and some stained glass and some... (laughs) 
you know, Books of Common Prayer and all the rest. Yes, and the academy, right? So most of the clergy were formed through the academy. The academy um, sort of was the seat of the church and how you you learned about the things of God. And it was only those folks who'd been through those sorts of training programs who could impart the Word of God. They were uh, thought to to be the only ones qualified. That's right. And so great schools like Oxford and Cambridge Mm -hmm. were the the incubators of these interlocutors who could proclaim the word. Right. And and George Fox was a was a young man who was not satisfied. He wasn't experiencing that presence of God in his life. So far as we know, he was not well educated, and that probably informs his narrative. Mm-hmm. He was a person who apparently had a lot of passion and some self-confidence. We think that he was apprenticed as a as a, maybe a shoemaker or maybe a tailor, but some trade of his hands, which in the England of his day would have separated him out from those That's who right. were well-trained and educated mm-hmm. and so on. And made and have made education virtually impossible for him as well. He could never access it. That's no. right. And he was hungry and thirsty. I think these are verbs that mm. really jump off the page. He wrote his own story. It's called his journal. And that's why we know so much about yeah. what he was thinking. And in his journal, he he describes himself as hungry and thirsty. Mm-hmm. He wants to not just know about God. He wants to know God. And the people who were standing at the front of his church buildings didn't seem to know God either. That was his conclusion. And he was crying out in his heart. And he describes walking through fields and walking down country lanes and walking in city streets. And his heart is crying out, Lord, Lord, if you're there, how do I know you? And then he began to experience what he described as openings. Mm-hmm. I love this. What, what do you think about that? What, what do you think he meant when he would describe openings? I think that he would have these moments of connection uh, when he would experience God. Quakers today or the Fringe Church today will talk about it in sort of a George Fox S essence of, of, of way opening. Maybe you're conflicted about something or maybe he didn't know exactly what to do and way would open. He would be given the insight and the wisdom he needed to make a, a certain decision or to, to uh, go a certain way. And he felt this uh, overwhelming presence of God with him in those times. He felt like God was revealing to him. Mm. He understood the scripture, Fox did, and respected the scripture, but also understood that even understanding the scripture required an opening, mm-hmm. uh, an experience with God where the Spirit was helping him navigate the printed page and to understand what God really meant and intended for him. And so this this experiential religion overwhelmed him. Yes. And he began to speak about it in a way that others gathered around because there was an authenticity to what he spoke of. He clearly had some passion and charisma, but he also had a kind of anointing. And over time, thus was developed the Society of Friends. Mm -hmm. But he lived in an age where this kind of, you might say, innovation of spiritual experience was not welcomed. That's right. We talk about the, the, the New Testament era or the early church, but I mean, this was a turbulent time, early 17th century, uh, in world history for the church and for people who uh, were fervent and passionate in their convictions. You know, we've just come through the Protestant Reformation, and, you know, what what religion will look like is um, becoming uh, at least a topic of conversation among a lot of great influential men and some women 
at the time. And at this point, George Fox kind of lives in a world where religion is um, very legalistic, very law-based, very practice-oriented. And he clearly, as you said, was hungry and thirsty for something else and began to introduce that to his peers. And his seeking of the kingdom, Jesus famously said, seek and you will find. Seek ye first the kingdom and these other things will be added to you. He was a seeker. Mm-hmm. And he absolutely was convinced he found. Mm-hmm. And he found the living presence of Jesus revealing himself in his deepest being as he studied the word and was in community with other believers. These were his watchwords, his his anchors. Mm-hmm. And in that community, he began to share this authentic experiential journey with Jesus that still has impacts today. And one other part of this is as the Lord began to walk through these openings and, and speak into his life, he began to see in the teaching of Jesus a compelling advocacy for the poor yes. and for the marginalized. Mm-hmm. He became an early voice against the oppression, the economic and the political oppression of people who didn't have power. That's right. He became an early opponent of slavery and, and systems that separated people out. He was very much an advocate for equity and equality that all of us were created equal in the sight of God. Some ideas that we take for granted today, but were really on the edge of adventure in his own world. We're still in George Fox's time living in a time when the clergy tell us what to think about Scripture. And for George Fox to be a person who read it and then um, encountered this Jesus of the Scripture who served the poor, who loved the poor, was really an upending conversation in his time. And it was a challenge and a dare to the establishment. It was. Because the established church was deeply linked to governmental power. Mm -hmm. Lots of things were at stake. This led to his arrest. He would be imprisoned four times (laughs) because of his proclamation of this experiential walk with Jesus. Imagine going to jail because you dared suggest, you know, the Lord is inside of me. The Lord is helping me understand the Bible. And this led him to be imprisoned. Out of all of this, he still survived and leaves to us today a legacy of spiritual grace and authenticity and the emphasis on experience. And so, Kimberly, in a world where people long to have a kind of structured finality about everything, Mm. a world of absolutes. George Fox speaks across time and says, Jesus is the absolute. He does. And you need to find his voice speaking to you. Mm -hmm. And you have to experience it for yourself. You cannot simply just accept someone else's instructions. Mm -hmm. You must yourself hear the voice of Christ. You need to quiet yourself and to sit still. This is a a discipline of the Society of Friends. Mm -hmm. You just sit still and listen. Also be a student of the Word, because the Scripture will be the measure of what you hear. And also be courageous in your devotion to speaking on behalf of Jesus for those who cannot speak for themselves. These are lessons from George Fox, a man who we could fairly say was a saint, and from which we can draw life today. And all of that within the context of the New Testament itself, which says, you know what, consider these people who believe by faith, not by what they could feel and touch and taste in a physical way, but they had absolute confidence 
that the unseen God was a living presence in their here and now. That's George Fox's story, too. That's right. I am so inspired by his life and the way that he didn't settle for the message of or the the life of Christ given to him by the powers that were. He he sought that out for himself. Through the Spirit's leading, he encountered the Jesus of the book. And uh, my New Testament professor used to tell us, if you get Jesus wrong, you get everything wrong. That's right. And I think that uh, George Fox inspires us to to go back and uh, to invite the Spirit to instruct us that we could meet that Jesus of the book and uh, reorient ourselves with his life, his ways, and the way that he um, lived out love and goodness, righteousness, faith, and hope on this planet. The writer of the Hebrews tells us in chapter 12 that when we consider this great cloud of witnesses, of which George Fox is one, that we will have our focus on Jesus. It's all mm-hmm. about Jesus. And today, we invite you to pray with us that we might all experience the Spirit of Jesus. Our Father, we're so thankful today for the journey of George Fox, for the way in which the world has been changed for the good over centuries by his witness. We're thankful that your Holy Spirit still strives in the individual hearts and minds of men and women who seek you. We pray that we'll have a hunger and thirst for you, that we will get Jesus right, and that Jesus will inform us and transform us, and that your Holy Spirit will guide us. We pray for openings in the year 2020 Mm. where we will ourselves hear from you. We surrender our lives now into your hand, eagerly waiting and surrendering into your heart and way. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'd like to know more about how you might discover the Holy Spirit and the way in which he can inform you about Jesus, give us a call. Just dial this number, 1-800-757-8439, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. We're by the phone, 1-800-757-VIEW. Kimberly, if someone did not want to call us on the phone but felt better about checking us out online, what's our web address? You can find us online at cbhviewpoint.org. Send us a message, and we'll get right back to you. CBH, Christians Broadcasting Hope, that's who we are, that's what we do, cbhviewpoint.org. And if you prefer, just send me a letter. Address it to Jim Lyon, Viewpoint, Post Office Box 2420, Anderson, Indiana, 46018, USA. But whether you call us on the phone, check us out online, or use the post, please, let us hear from you. Kimberly, thanks for walking alongside, as always. We're proud to have you on the I'm team. I'm so glad to be here. Good conversation today. And we're so glad to have you tuning in as well. We hope you'll join us again next week as we continue to unpack stories of great men and women before us that they might inspire us for the year ahead. Until then, for all of us at CBH Viewpoint, stay tuned.